Hello again and welcome to Marketing with Purpose. My name is Monica Pitts and today I'm going to share with you an interview that I did recently with Rick Bierman. He is the Director of Business Development for the St. Louis area for MAPA. And MAPA, for those of you who don't know, is the Missouri Asphalt Pavement Association. Now, Maycreate, my company, has been involved with MAPA for many years now. We started designing websites for paving companies around the time my first daughter was born. So that was like over nine years ago. And then we had the honor of building MAPA, a website as well. And that website actually won an award with NAPA, the National Asphalt Paving Association, for being such an awesome website. So yay to them and yay to us. And then we became members of the association and our very own Stacey Brockmeyer is actually on the board over there now and helps out a lot with their marketing. So we invited Rick to be my guest on the podcast and I was really, really excited when he agreed, first off, because I was excited to talk about construction again. And I asked him, you know, what do you think we should talk about? And then I was even more pumped when he said marketing or selling a solution or solving customers' problems. Now, (laughs) You guys know that I was just squawking about that on my last podcast. He didn't know that, though, because I hadn't released that podcast yet. So whenever I talk about a big picture concept, I know that it would be better understood with real world examples. And now we have Rick to give us some real world examples and applications to selling a solution or solving customer problems with your marketing. Now, I'm going to take him through my defining your target market exercise. These are the questions that I ask clients when I'm trying to understand who they're talking to so I can craft a message that sticks with their audience or to brainstorm about suggestions that might make good topics for their content marketing. You'll hear me ask him these questions, I don't know, like maybe a third of the way through, and he'll answer them for you. And I will totally repeat them for you at the end so that way you can ask yourself these same questions to come up with better ways to market and sell your solution to your potential customers' problems. So let's go hang out with Rick and get some tips on where to start with your marketing and learn more on selling solutions in the paving industry. You're on a mission and you just need more people to know about it. And whether you're brand new to marketing or a seasoned pro, we are all looking for answers to make marketing decisions with purpose. I'm Monica Pitts, a techie, crafty business owner, mom, and aerial dancer who solves communication challenges through technology. This podcast is all about digging in and going digital. I'll share my marketing know-how and business experience from almost 20 years of misadventures. I'll be your backup dancer so you can stop doubting and get moving towards marketing with purpose. If you're in the middle of planning a construction website right now, or if you're thinking about overhauling yours or just looking for things you can improve on it, I want you to hop on over to makecreate.com and download my website plan blueprint for construction websites. This blueprint is exactly what it sounds like. It's going to outline and suggest what to put on the main pages of your website. It gives you simple steps for planning your careers and projects section, and it even has website tracking tips and privacy compliance advice. So it has got everything you need to make sure that you get this website done right the first time. And with that out of the way, let's get to business. Rick, why don't we start by you introduce yourself and tell us all about what you do. 
Okay, my name is Rick Bierman. I'm the uh, business development director for MAPA, specifically in the uh, St. Louis region. My role is, you know, is essentially a business development, but working for a, an association of, a membership association of trade labor. My role is, is kind of unique in that I don't necessarily sell or market for any one company. It's more for an industry. So I spend a lot of time helping our membership market uh, asphalt to both uh, municipal and private owners from any, anything that has to do with pavement outside of the, you know, the, the Department of Transportation is essentially what, uh, what, I, what I do for them. So you spend a lot of time with MAPA's members. <laughs> exactly. Yep. With their members and their, and their prospects. You know, so I spend a lot of time with, you know, city officials, you know, street crews, those folks, and, and more so even with, with our membership is where I spend a lot of time. And it's kind of divided up into two major components. The St. Louis market is a little bit different than traditionally asphalt is produced or made and laid down by the same company. In St. Louis, the market is a little bit different in that most of our asphalt production, those companies, that's all they do is produce it. Then they sell it to a contractor who will essentially put it on the ground. We call those guys the, the laydown contractors. So I work with both, but primarily from a sales and marketing standpoint, it's the, with the laydown members that I spend most of my time helping them. Because honestly, if they're not selling it or putting it on the ground, the producers aren't making it. So they can't make something, you know, they don't have anybody to sell it to if it's not being put on the ground. So now I feel like by what you've just described, actually both types of members that you work with, the producers and the laydown contractors can definitely benefit from the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is marketing or selling a solution or solving a customer's problem. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me what you meant by that. Like, clearly I'm excited about it, but what do you mean when you say that? So, you know, one of the things that has jumped out at me in, in the time that I've been doing this is partially I understand and get it that, you know, this is a construction related service. So there's definitely a formality to the RFP slash bid process. And I understand and respect that. But one of the things that I noticed right away was there was far too much of a business model based around strictly this being a price. You know, and I would talk to them about, is your service a commodity? And of course, they, everybody would say, well, no, you know, I do it this way or I do it that way or this is why I'm better than the competition. And then I look at them and I say, well, then why do you just strictly try to be a nickel cheaper than that guy? It's something that jumped out at me that I really feel like we could be so much better served by selling a solution, by asking the right questions, by solving customers' problems than by being a nickel cheaper than the other guy. And something that I say quite often, I used this a lot in historical sales roles, price is only a factor in the absence of a value. And essentially, that sounds pretty, pretty easy to understand, but if you have the solution and you're the only one that took the time to paint that picture for the customer, they don't care how much it costs. And as long as it's something they can afford or it's in the budget or whatever, they, they, you have solved their problem, you've presented everything they need, then by all means, you're going to get that work. If you can uncover 
what that pain is, you don't have to throw a bunch of darts at the wall and hope something sticks. The other analogy I use is I call it like fishing, right? You guys are all trolling. You're all throwing out a bunch of lines and hoping somebody sees something shiny and it's, you know, and they go up and they bite it. Well, don't do that. Go sight fishing. Ask them what they want to see. Ask them where they see value and then show them why yours is the most valuable solution to that. And then ask for the business. I love the fishing analogy because right now the lake is down and I can see the fish in the water. Exactly. So I just cast right out to where the fish is and I'll be darned that that fish is way more likely to bite my bait than, <laughs> than, than, than the fish that, that you hope sees your line as you're trolling by with a hundred lines in the water and they're not distracted by all the other ones. But if you haven't done that, if, if all you've done is looked at what they put on paper and you're responding to an RFP and, you're, and, and you haven't separated yourself from anybody else, well, yeah, exactly. guess what? The lowest price is going to win. And, and sometimes that lowest price comes at a cost of quality of workmanship. Now we're taking into a bunch of different factors that decrease the value of the end product. And from my standpoint and my role here, I'm always concerned about how is it going to look when it's done and how is that pavement going to perform? Because the general public and everybody else from here on out is going to see that product and then they're going to say, hey, look how awesome that asphalt is or hey, look how horrible that asphalt is. They don't understand what those conversations look like, how that bid process went. You know, none of that factors in. They just know whether it's performing or it's not. And we all, you know, see that all the time. You're totally right. Now, I feel like right now we keep hearing from companies in the industry, and we hear this every election year. This is not a new statement, but they're just not sure what next year looks like. And so right. a lot of the times what they won't invest in right now is their marketing, which always I'm like, well, all right, well, this is just part of my bag, right? Every four years we go through this. But I do feel like it is more important right now than ever to sell a solution or to solve customers' problems. Because when you don't know what's going to happen next year, this style of selling and marketing is something that can absolutely pad your bottom line. Yeah, it's tried and true. What doesn't make sense to me is the idea of holding off on investing in your marketing or putting money into that. You know, I attended something somewhere in the last year by somebody who was really, really smart. And I heard her say something that really resonated with me. And that was essentially looking at your marketing, kind of like a 401k. Who was that? Do you, do you remember who that might have been? Oh, wait, no, I think that was me. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. You know, as, as somebody who I've been in sales and marketing for my entire adult life, that analogy resonated with me so much because so many times people wait until they need something from their marketing to invest in it. I don't think it's in any company's best interest to say, well, I'm just not going to do anything until this happens because I think human nature is to always find a reason, you know, the doom and gloom. Well, you know, well, we don't know who's going to be the president and we don't know what next year is going to bring from a budget standpoint. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And if we wait until we know, you know, we're never going to know. I feel like there's a lot of people that get nervous whenever they start thinking about their marketing because they feel like they have to have every duck in a row before they get started. And it's just effort in, effort out. And yeah. you don't know until you try it. 
really, if it's going to work or not. It's just a gigantic science experiment, right? Right. But I always tell them to just start where your bandwidth allows you right now. If you can only do something small, maybe that's even better. Yeah. Because that means that you can learn from that something small instead of investing all this time in huge when you don't have any clue what you're up to, right? So <laughs> sometimes starting small is good. I definitely would encourage folks, don't let yourself get overwhelmed. Create a plan, start small, you know, and don't wait. Find a way to do something today, do something tomorrow, and you'll find that it, it will work. You can only eat an elephant one bite at a time, I guess, is the easiest way to put that. So I'm hoping that with your knowledge of all of your laydown contractors and their customers, that we can go through an example of how to find the problem they're solving and how to share their solutions in their marketing. I usually ask people a series of questions so that I can understand this stuff, so that I can give them solutions. And since my last podcast, or maybe a few podcasts ago, was about solution-based marketing, I was like, man, I'm so excited that Rick agreed to talk to me because I want to give real world, real world how they can find this stuff for themselves. Do you want to be my guinea pig? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So I usually start this conversation by asking people about their target market. So tell me about who the clients or who the customers are that your lay down contractors are usually serving. Okay. We've got two markets. One of them are going to be your public market with your, you know, municipal city county, subdivisions, those types. And then you've got your private market um, is going to be your land developers and then your property managers, either from a initial construction standpoint or a maintenance standpoint. The two main target markets are either you know, municipal work or private work. Now, which one would you like to focus on today? Um, let's start, we can do the private side. I mean, I think that's gonna resonate more on the public side. You may sell pavement or you may sell you know, windows or internet service, you know, or whatever your business is, I think it'll resonate better with those folks. Okay, so when you were talking to the private market, you listed off a couple of different types of customers. So let's go a little bit more specific. What type of customer would be like a great customer for your laydown contractors? Like somebody that, like the land developers maybe, that they would get business from over and over again. Right, yeah, I, I would say that would make, I mean, again, it depends on the con on the laydown contractor and what their focus is. It's kind of interesting. Not being a laydown contractor myself, I don't quite understand why this is, but they tend to either focus, especially on the private side, either in construction and initially building those lots or on the maintenance side. There are some that do both, but primarily it's a very separated business. So I think for, for our example here, it would make sense to talk about the new construction side. Okay, new construction land developers. So for our listeners, the reason that I like to narrow it down is because the new construction land developers versus like maintenance, you might be talking to different concerns. Right. And I like to go through this exercise for each of the types of people that I'm going to talk to. So that way I can understand what's going on in their world. But then also, if I'm going to develop marketing, I want to market to an audience that I have the most chance of connecting with. So I have to get in front of people who are either lot plentiful, like yeah. there's lots of businesses, there's lots of this going on. Or sometimes too, you could go after a really big fish, right? right? And so that makes your marketing worthwhile too. You just want to make sure that it makes sense right. monetarily to invest your energy in a market. Right. Okay. So 
who is the person that you usually talk to or that they would usually talk to in this relationship with a new construction land developer? Oh boy. See, that's where it gets kind of cloudy. They're actually going to deal more with probably the GC, the general contractor. Okay. That's who their relationship is going to be with. The developer typically hires one GC to build the whole thing and the developer isn't necessarily going to care about who's doing the lot or who's going to be doing the drywalling or who's going to do the electric work. That's going to fall more on the, on the GC side. Okay. So that's who our guys are building their relationships with. So tell me about what the general contractor's role is with the company and in the project. Yeah, like I said, their role is typically to oversee the construction of the entire design. So general contractor, they may not be doing any of the construction work themselves. They're just providing the administration of it. So they're hiring all of the services, all of the contractors, all of the skilled trade, you know, and again, the parking lot or the pavement is just one aspect of that of the whole project so they're like a really good person to know yeah it's kind of a a good focus for this conversation because they're one of the toughest to have a value add conversation with because let's be honest their role is to build this building as cheap as possible right so it's really hard to get those guys to focus on anything other than how cheap can you do this but there are things when I talk to my guys about talking to a GC, a huge factor for them is time of construction, right? That has nothing to do with how much does it cost. It has everything to do with how fast can you put this in? Or, you know, again, the timing of when we put the lot in versus the rest of the building, it's critical. So it may be one of those things where we have a small window. I don't know when that window is going to be. It's going to be sometime this month. And the fact that an asphalt contractor can come in and be able to construct the whole lot in a short amount of time, that's worth more than X number of dollars. But that's mm -hmm. something we just had a whole conversation about a value that that customer is going to see that separates you from either another asphalt contractor or even somebody who does a different type of pavement that you know they may be trying to convince that contractor that they should do it in a different material because it's cheaper, gonna last longer or, or whatever. But you took the time to understand that contractor and what's important to him. You know, similar to like what you said, you have to ask questions, right? You, you have to understand why are we having this conversation why are you calling me? What are we looking for? How, where do you see value? What's going to separate me from everybody else? Depending upon, again, what the industry is, there's lots of open-ended questions that you can ask that gets that contractor talking about what's important to them so that when you present a solution, you've answered every one of their specific concerns. If you ask the right questions and uncover the right needs, now you're sight fishing, right? You picked out this contractor. He's told you, this is what I will bite on and you're going to feed it to him. And you're not throwing out a whole bunch of lines and seeing a whole bunch of shiny stuff and hoping he sees something that is going to be appealing to him and he bites on it. And you go, okay, great. He bit. I, okay, good. I, I won that one.
you asked him the question. He told you what I'd bite on. You fed it to him. And then you just ask him for the business. Catfish do not bite on worms. They only <laughs> eat dog treats and hot dogs. <laughs> sure. <laughs> One thing I did want to add to that is, you know, I like how you said you have to understand why, like, why are we having this conversation? So yep. one thing that happens to me a lot in my universe is people are coming to me for their second, third, fourth website. So someone built those websites before me, like they've, they've had other interactions with me. So when your general contractors come to you and you've not had a conversation with them before, but they have existed before, you have to assume that they're walking away from a relationship that they have with someone else. Right. And whenever I have the opportunity to talk to somebody who has had a relationship with someone else, I always very pointedly ask them the question, so why aren't you working with the person you worked with on your last project? Mm -hmm. yep. And you get all kinds of answers. The best scenario is when they just unload. Yep. They're so mad at this person and they go through this whole tornado of everything that they went through. And after they do that for you, this is not really your opportunity to sell friends. Don't start selling right now because then you're just a salesperson. Instead, right. I suggest that you just listen to what they just said and say, I am going to prove to you, not by telling you I'm not going to do those things, but through my actions, that working with my company, you will not have that experience. Yeah. And just move on to the next thing. But I always love to write them down because I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. This is, this is the money. This is what I needed to know because now I know how to meet their expectations by watching someone else fail to meet them. <laughs> right. And, and I think one of the really important things that you just said there is this is not your opportunity to sell. You're, you know, again, going back to the fishing analogy, you're still trying to understand what they want to eat, right? And they've given you an idea or you, you, you've asked them why they're not working with that person again, or, you know, in our situation, you can ask that question a bunch of different ways, mm -hmm. depending upon how much they unload or how much information they give you. You typically want to continue to ask open-ended engaging questions, learn as much as you can about the good. What did you like? But at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're learning where this particular person sees value because everybody is different and everybody's idea or concept of value is slightly different. And that's where I say I try to avoid the trolling because by trolling, I'm assuming that I know what's valuable to you right? Like I think that you're going to see value in like the example I use the speed of construction. So I sit here, if I sat here for half an hour and talk to you all about speed of construction, assuming that that was important to you. And all of a sudden you give me some sort of indication. You just flat out tell me like, look, I don't care. Well, great. I just wasted a half an hour of your time and my time. And now what do you think of me? I'm not, I'm not sitting in a good spot with you because I just wasted your time. Agreed. Some of the things that you just talked through are actually answers to the questions <laughs> that I would ask next. Okay. So once I understand what a person's role in is, is in their company, I then have to understand what their goal is. So the general contractor's goal is to build this building as cheap as possible. And another goal that you expressed to me is to make sure it gets done on time. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And then challenges that they face. You explained that lack of responsiveness from their contractors or failure to do the work up to their specifications would be challenges that they face, yeah. right? Are there other challenges that you feel like they face? I think from a contractor standpoint, delays, time 
is is probably the most important. And they deal with all sorts of unforeseen things. Everything that I'm thinking of would be delay causing or, you know, cost causing, you know, from a pavement standpoint. So I think, you know, the, the biggest challenges that a general contractor from our standpoint would face would be cost and time are the two biggest. And then how does your product or service help solve these challenges? I think we, we've talked about quite a few of those, but the flexibility, no pun intended, in asphalt. Asphalt offers all different types of ways that it can it can be used and be installed, and it allows for that contractor to have maximum flexibility. It also, from a time standpoint, it can go in, you know, you can be driving on it same day. So there's lots of different values that the product itself brings to the table. Then you start to talk about, okay, how does an individual contractor separate himself? And that can be you know, with either equipment, you know, we've got different equipment, we've got different mixed designs, we've got different ways to install this. There's all kinds of different value adds that they can bring to the table that either help with the overall cost of the project, that speed up the construction time, they can put in additives that strengthen the asphalt, that require, you know, one of the big things on the time side for them, if it was going to have to be so thick, but if we do this, we don't have to quite go that thick. And what people don't start to do from a time standpoint is when you start backing that out, now we've saved days of excavating. So now we're not spending three days, five days a week digging out because we can deal with what we have here and we can utilize some technologies that now, guess what? The pavement itself, I'm paying a premium for. I'm gonna spend a lot more money with customer X than customer Y. But what customer X did is he saved me seven days of digging that I don't have to pay an excavator now and, I don't, and now I'm seven days ahead and some of these contracts that these guys deal with, they get a premium for finishing early. So now I finished my project a day early and I made another extra X number of dollars that now customer has separated. He got a premium. He's making more to lay his asphalt than anybody else. And the reason he did that is he was able to explain to the contractor, this is my value. This is why my product is worth X dollars more than the other guys. I know all six of those are all gonna line up and one of them is going to be a nickel cheaper than, than all the other ones. And traditionally, you've gone with him. This is why you should go with me. I love it. I love all those examples. Okay, so the last question okay. that I ask people, and you've already talked about this some, are what are the things that you hear them say often? Like, what are the broken records that you hear on repeat? It could be misconceptions about your product, or they could be buying objections. Are there any more of those that you want to add? Yeah, you know, the only one that I would say is I, I kind of painted a very utopian view. I wish that everybody was willing to have value-added conversations. But at the end of the day, sometimes they're just not. Sometimes they just only care about the bottom dollar. And the one thing that I suggest to folks is, you know, make sure you spend enough time to ask the questions to understand, is this somebody who's going to be a value added proposition customer? And if they're not, 
that's fine. We can deal with it. We'll go find somebody who wants to have a value added conversation. So sometimes it's not even overcoming the objection. It's understanding that we're not at a level yet that I can get to the value add to overcome that objection with this particular customer. I'm not going to give up. It just means not right now. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if you do a good job for them on this project, right. they may very well come back to you again, at which point, like eventually you have a relationship built up and then you can be like, Hey, yep. here's the deal. We can, we can do this together. And I have some clients like that and they'll be like, well, Monica, I'm going to trust you on this one. Yep. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. I really hope I do an amazing job for you because you just trusted me on that one. Well, it's, it's amazing if you think about it too, though. Those are the customers that you'll work even harder for because mm -hmm. they've told you, hey, I'm uncomfortable here, but you've earned my trust. So here you go. Go do it. I trust you. Now you hearing that says, you know what? A, I've done my job, but B, man, I got to prove it to this customer. You know, I got to blow them away, right? And, and I think, again, that if you don't have that relationship with the customer, you, you have to earn that trust. And the way you earn that trust is by building that relationship. And then they'll tell you, you know, hey, I don't know, man, but here you go. Okay, I'm going to try it. Now, I feel like in marketing, your marketing can be built to deepen relationships, I think that's one place where people don't pay attention to it enough. Like they'll just assume that a relationship is, in, is existent and that these people are going to come back to them with their next project. And so one of the things that I always tell people is if you have an existing client base, that's a gold mine for marketing. Like you just need to talk to them and let them know what's going on and, and tell them, Hey, we, we just had this great luck with, using this additive for this project, blah, 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 right? Because you don't know when their next project is coming up and they could use it, that same strategy, and it would give them the solution they want. Monica, I know, no, I was say, I know you can't see me, mm -hmm. but I am sitting here just nodding my head with, you know, excitement. Like you are so right in that I see it in our industry all the time. I see a couple of things, complacency like that, or, you know, hey, we, we've got this bid, right? Like we want it, like it, it's ours. And the next thing you know, somebody else is, is over there doing the job and they look up and they go, well, what happened? I thought I had that job. And, and you know, you didn't stay with that client. You didn't stay engaged. You didn't ask enough questions. You didn't, somebody came in and presented value because far too often what that value is, is he was a nickel cheaper. But guess what? If you would have sold a solution the other guy wouldn't have gotten his foot in the door because your solution meant so much to that client. And one of the other things that we don't do a great job of is building off of that. So, hey, guess what? I know we did this project over there on this lot. Hey, I, I need to tell you about some new stuff and it's even better. It's faster. It's cheaper. It's whatever. It's the next step. It's not, this is the way we've always done it, right? Problem is if you're not changing and you're not growing, you're going backwards and somebody's going to pass you up and somebody's going to pass you up with your clients. And then you know what's going to happen is they're going to look at you and go, well, why didn't you tell me about this? How long has this been out there? How long has this been around that I could have been doing my lots, you know, a week faster and whatever that solution is, hey, you know, I've been dealing with you for 10 years and you didn't tell me about this. Mm -hmm. Man, you really let me down here. And, you, and at that point you're done. 
you know, again, part of that is always marketing. It's that investing in your business, you know, that savings account approach of it's investing in continuing to tell people about yourself, but it's also keeping up with how do I stay relevant to my clients? What's important to them? And how do I keep reminding them that I'm the one that can find that for them? Because you bring it to them, you know, keeping your clients educated. An educated consumer should always be everybody's best client because those are the ones that are sold on value, not price. When the good news is that the same things that you talk about your clients with and that you hear your clients say are the things that your prospects also say. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're the same things that they need to hear. And that's why the solution-based marketing approach allows you to both meet new people and continue to have a relationship with your existing people because you're helping both of them solve the problems that they're both facing. They're all the same yep. challenges that they're yep. facing. It's just one of them you know and the other one you don't. Right. Now, there's all kinds of different ways that people can approach the marketing of the solutions. Tell me, are there any that you find that work better than others for your lay down contractors? Is it like website? Is it email, social media? What? You know, I guess if there were a silver bullet in any industry, everybody would load their guns with them, right? Yeah. I don't know that there's any one in particular. I You kind of have to do them all, but that can be overwhelming for somebody who is trying to find, okay, where do I start? So I think a website is the easiest, best place to start because the website can house everything going forward. So white papers work great in certain aspects of our industry because they tell the story. In construction and what we do, you know, a lot of times nobody wants to be the guinea pig. So the white paper is, is a great way of telling the story of, hey, this customer had this problem. This is how we solved it. Sounds great. Looks great. There's no better place to put a white paper then on your website and then you can direct people there and you can run all of your campaigns and your email marketing. You know, you can run those through your website. The number one place that people go looking for a solution when they have the problem, obviously, is the web, right? We're going to Google it. The one thing though that I think that people have to realize is that they are going online to find their solution. Yes. And the only things that are going to show up in those search results are your listing on Google Maps, yep. your website, and potentially a YouTube video, yep. but not your Facebook page, not your LinkedIn page. Those aren't gonna show up until somebody actually right. like searches for your name, at which point they're in a different part of the buying journey. Right. You know, so yes, I 100% agree with you. And the other thing too that I always wanna remind people about is, and I have made this mistake in my own marketing, my friends. <laughs> it's like, I'll spend all this time making this great resource that solves someone's problem. And then I'll be like, but nobody's downloading it. Like what's happening? And then I go, oh, I never told them about it. Right. I didn't make a social media post about it. I didn't send them an email. I didn't put an ad on my website about it. So, you know, two people downloaded a month, but if I spent 80 hours on it, like how is, that's not worthwhile. Right. <laughs> so you have to tell people about the resources that you're making for them. Yep. And that is 
part of your continual marketing conversation with people. Absolutely. And I think everybody's target market will define itself differently. And you will start to figure that out the more you do it and the more you hone in on it. But you're right. You have to tell people about what you're doing and sometimes why you're doing it and celebrate. And that's the other thing that our industry does a very poor job of. And that is bragging. Celebrate yourself. Like tell the world. You are so right. You know, tell the world about the most humble humans, the cool things that you're doing. And I think some of it is based in a competitive fear. Like, oh gosh, if I start telling everybody what I'm doing, then they're going to see it and they're going to start copying it. And you know what? Imitation is the best form of flattery. So you know what? Hey, good luck trying to do as good as I'm in our stuff. You don't need to get into the mix. You know, you're not telling them how you sold. You're just showing it like, hey, look what I did here. Look at how great it is. And if you want something like this, give me a call. Well, and I think that if you're going to show them like in your project section or in your case studies or portfolio or whatever you want to call it, you can say, we knew that based on the precipitation in this area and X, Y, and Z, we were going to have a challenge with the whatever. And we did this by mixing a different mix that made it more porous, Yeah, yeah. right? And you don't have to say what the mix was. You just show them, I saw the problem. Yep. And we knew how to make a solution. You can be anything to anyone as long as you know what they need you to be. When I presented this as a potential topic, I think the biggest problem that I see is that we don't know. We're, we're not asking what they see value in. We're not asking them, why are we having this conversation? What do you want? Why do you want that? Have you looked at anything else? Or, you know, just simple questions versus, yep, hold on, let me get you a price. When we talk about value selling, solution selling, all of these different terminologies, it all comes down to just having a conversation with the buyer about why are you buying? And who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe they're not buying. Maybe, you, maybe they took a cold call. Maybe you called them and said, hey, can I come in and meet you? And they said, sure. Okay. <laughs> but there has to be. And it's even more important. Right. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> they don't know you. <laughs> exactly. But it's such an important part of your sales, of your marketing to solve people's problems, give them a solution. You're not selling a product, you're selling a solution. You're selling a means to an end. You're solving problems for them. That's how you get customers not sales, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I think everyone should be following your advice. <laughs> awesome. I just have to thank Rick one more time for coming and hanging out with me for this podcast. Now, I promised you at the beginning that I was going to let you know the questions that I asked Rick and that I ask my clients whenever I'm discovering their target market so I can help them plan their content marketing or make decisions about how to write content that really connects with that audience. The questions that I ask my clients are, first, I just ask them open-ended. Tell me about the clients that you usually serve. The thing I'm looking for here are concrete facts, the types of businesses that they work for and the demographics. Next, I like to understand the role that the person they're selling to fulfills in the company. Then we talk about that person's goals, the challenges that they face, and how your product or service can help solve those challenges. Then think about the things that you hear them say often, like misconceptions about your product or the objections. Now within the answers to those questions lives 
the answer to how you communicate with your audience, how you talk about the solutions that you provide and what problems you can solve for them to connect with them both in your marketing message and through your content marketing. Now, if you want to have a more organized way to get through those questions, I do have a free downloadable resource for you. At resources.maycreate.com, you will find a book called How to Create a Marketing Plan Workbook. In that workbook, there is an activity called buyer personas. That is what you're creating when you answer these questions and document them. So hop on over there to get those buyer personas started so you can start marketing and selling based on solutions. And with that, my friends, thank you so much for listening today. Now go forth and market with purpose.